0: Hello, and thanks for listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, we have a special uh, segment of Policing Matters today with the breaking news of the uh, indictments in Louisville, Kentucky regarding the Breonna Taylor case. And um, since March 13th, the case has been in the news when officers... Uh, went to Miss Taylor's uh, apartment to serve a no-knock warrant, and uh, after that, uh, the facts get um, a little bit cloudy. And we're lucky today to talk to Sergeant, retired Sergeant Betsy Brantner Smith, a 29-year law enforcement veteran, police one columnist, law enforcement trainer, and spokesperson for the National Police Association. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Jim, for having me. I really appreciate it on this
0: crazy day, right? Crazy day. And of course, uh, you know, we've we've heard several versions of this indictment. But it sounds like what we know for sure is that of the three officers involved in the case, uh, the one uh, sergeant uh, or one, one of the officers was indicted, not for the shooting of uh, Miss Taylor or any other sort of um, uh, in in proper um uh, procedures but charged with wanton uh, discharge into um a dwelling and not and not just uh Miss Taylor's dwelling but the dwellings of neighbors uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you know about that well sure
1: so um this detective has been charged with um second degree wanton endangerment and uh this result uh, this is resulting from uh, a narcotics task force was working kind of a long-term case, and um, Brianna Taylor's address was one of several. And uh, so, when they served the search warrant on her home, and it was an apartment, um, they did have a no-knock warrant, but they chose to do what we call knock and announce. And uh, and they knocked several times and loudly announced themselves to the point where that there were witnesses in the neighborhood that said, "Yeah, we heard them knocking and announce," um, but no one answered the door. So um, they forced entry into the door. Uh, as they enter, um, Kenneth Walker, who is Brianna Taylor's, uh, was Breonna Taylor's current boyfriend, um, fired one shot at the officers um, striking Sergeant Mattingly in the femoral artery. So with a femoral artery shot, you have about six to seven minutes to render aid to that officer. So the other officers return fire and they testified, they returned fire in the direction of the muzzle flash because they couldn't see Kenneth Walker. Uh, and Kenneth Walker says that he couldn't see them, but he says, that he shot first one shot and uh during the uh, exchange of gunfire brianna taylor was hit uh several times six times i believe uh hit once fatally and uh and she died now there the the narrative has been that brianna taylor uh was asleep in her bed and uh, when she was shot she was not asleep in her bed she was standing next to Kenneth Walker, allegedly, uh, when this occurred, and she was hit by the return gunfire.
0: Right. And this is late at night. Uh, the officers announce themselves. Uh, they're not expecting but probably prepared for resistance, and they encounter gunfire and they fire back. So is is the indictment surprising to you? It's It sounds like it's not going to make anyone happy. Uh, clearly, there have been um, already uh, calls for Uh, protests uh, that the grand jury didn't do enough because the officers weren't charged significantly. And yet uh, we're hearing from the law enforcement side that, you know, in a non-emotional state, clearer heads should look at this and say uh, the officers did what they were supposed to do. They, They abided with the Fourth Amendment of search and seizure. They by oath or affirmation, swore out on a particular place to be searched for an individual with warrants. They went there, they encountered uh, fire, uh, fire, uh, arm from a firearm from a suspect and they returned fire. So what's happening now? The, nobody's happy, uh, did the grand jury do their job?
1: Well, I do believe the grand jury did their job. Um... You know, we hear a lot of talk about, you know, Kenneth Walker um, was a legal firearms uh, holder. Um, Just because you legally possess a firearm doesn't mean that you can use it to shoot a police officer. Um, So there's that. And I I believe that the grand jury, you know, um, did what they could, given the facts that they were presented with. Here's the problem. Here's why nobody's going to be happy, because this case has been so politicized and there has been a real lack of leadership, in my opinion, um, in Louisville, there has been, you know, there's, there's no other way. I don't want to get partisan, but Louisville is a very left-leaning city. The mayor has been overly involved in my opinion, in this case. So has the city council. um, and uh, and so they have had to, you know, they have been trying to get these officers charged. They finally uh, fired uh, the detective uh, Harkinson. That was uh, Hankinson, is his name, Brett Hankinson. They fired him a while ago, and they they said that they fired him because he uh, fired wildly into this home. Um, and then they, you know, sent it to the attorney general. And uh, uh, the attorney general took it before the grand jury. Nobody's going to be happy because, you know, I think most police officers look at this situation and say, these guys did what they had to do. And and then the activists on the other side are looking at this and saying Brianna Taylor was, you know, murdered uh, by the police. And I and I got to tell you, <laughs> Jim, I've been talking all morning to uh, national media, the reporters they don't know the entire circumstances of this case. I, I talked to a reporter from a national news outlet today who still believe that Breonna Taylor was asleep in her bed when the police shot her. Of I course. mean, this, you know, it's, it, it's insane, it's just insane.
0: There's there's gaslighting across the board by sports stars and celebrities and uh, you know rights leaders um, who have changed the narrative a bit. And there's so many issues involved. Uh, when the officer was fired and the letter was written, it was written by the interim chief. And we know the pressure on the chiefs. And uh, if they do the right thing, maybe they stay. And if they don't, especially as an interim, you're there's the door. So uh, there's pressure that way. In 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 most states, the district attorney or the local prosecutor can file charges if they believe they're uh, wanted and and uh, it can be proven but in this case as you said the the case was referred to the attorney general the attorney general convened a grand jury and i think we might have a difference of opinion on grand juries but i've seen grand juries manipulated and um you know it's it it really is a one-sided courtroom argument where there is no exculpatory evidence there is no defense and so you have prosecutors presenting a case to men and women of the jury of 12 jurors and I think they need 9 to return the indictment. And so I'm sure they gave them an array of you know quote evidence and then possible dispositions but uh I I would I would have guessed that the they wanted charges against the officers for the shooting and the killing of the individual, but instead we get this wanton discharge uh charge well, a byproduct of this and a byproduct of the the false narrative is the fate of the no knock warrants what do you what do you see happening there
1: well i I think again people need to understand that it's not the police who decide on the no knock warrant it's a judge mm-hmm. and uh um the the we do no knock warrants for a couple of reasons one is for officer safety and two is to make sure evidence doesn't get flushed or tossed out the window or whatever um i was on a a, a statewide narcotics task force for many years and and i participated in many of these types of warrants and um um but there are in kentucky's one of the states where you've got legislation being presented that we get rid of no knock warrants Um, I personally believe we need to leave it up to the, to the judges and, uh, but you know, we're going to, what's going to happen is I think you're going to see a change in the way that, uh, we're investigating crimes and you may see a push again toward legalization of drug, more drugs. Because that's what this was. It was a narcotics investigation. So to be if you want to be very libertarian about it all, should we even be kicking in people's doors because of what they're, you know, they're because they're selling drugs? You know, that's something that each state's going to have to decide. And uh, and so, you know, I think you'll see a change in investigations, uh, the way what we're doing, the way we do them. And I think you may see a change in the way we're serving search warrants. Um mm. I think one of the things you're going to see, and I'm, I'm hearing this a lot more out training, is um, nobody's going to serve search warrants unless they've got a full on SWAT team available.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in San Francisco, we had a matrix sheet for every high profile search warrant where all of the boxes were, you know, if we reached a certain level of uh, numbers checked, then we did do the full on SWAT team uh, assault. Uh, We always had an ambulance standing by. I understand they did have one in this particular case. And then for whatever reason, it was called off. But, um, you know, we have that matrix. And to your point of the legalization of narcotics, um, I mean, we've pretty much seen that in California and a couple other states where, if not full on legalization, at least decriminalization. But then we still have the problems with uh, the drug dealing, mass quantities, the public health impact, um, people lying in the streets, uh, the burglaries, the car break-ins through the roof, and we're seeing that now in San Francisco and LA. And uh, you know, unless we start giving the drugs away for free, as long as we need to come up with some cash to buy the drugs, you're going to have those unintended consequences of the the associated crime. So. That yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I sure hope, you know, when they come up with the legislation that they involve some law enforcement perspectives as well. All right, let's wrap it up. Do you have any parting thoughts or encouragement for law enforcement people out there listening to the podcast?
1: Uh I gotta tell you, um I, I really want um the law enforcement officers listening to understand how much community support you really have around the nation. I mean, that's why the national police association exists is because there was a need for citizens to get educated on how to support their police. And we are just overwhelmed constantly with people who say, what more can we do to help our police departments? Um, and, and I'd also say to them, you know, wow, it's, this, is a this is the most difficult time to be a police officer in my lifetime. Um, But it's also a great adventure and people need us. Don't don't give it up um, because there is a great need for for what we do. And most people appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate your words, your sentiment. My two sons are both police officers. I think it's a noble profession. I teach criminal justice. And, uh, you know, when they talk about colleges and and low uh, enrollment because of COVID and things. Our criminal justice uh, uh, major is full. So there are a lot of young people out there interested in the profession. Uh, They wanna make it good and it is a noble profession. And I appreciate what everybody's doing out there. It's difficult times. So we've been speaking with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, 29 year law enforcement veteran Police One columnist. Take a look at some of her awesome articles. She's a law enforcement trainer and also the spokesperson for the National Police Association. Thanks so much, Betsy. Thanks, Jim. And to our listeners out there, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, Send us an email at policingmatters at policeone.com. That is policingmatters at policeone.com. Take good care. Be safe.